welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And you are listening to part two of the stages on the journey in which we get to talk with our special guest, John Byron, about the different stages that pretty much all of us who follow Jesus go through. In part one, we talked about the point of the journey. Now, as we begin part two, we pick up the discussion talking about the first few stages and describing what they're like for most of us. So let's jump into the discussion with John Byron. If we go back to the whole idea of stages, and this idea of we're on a journey. This journey begins when we came out of the womb, new birth, okay? And in those first breaths, we struggled to kind of find it and discover what is air at this moment. And we needed a lot of help. We had a whole team of doctors and nurses standing around us as this began. And isn't it cool that in the life of of the spirit, God provides a lot of different means around us in that operating room to give new birth a context and to help us learn to breathe. And he's provided the medical team we need right there. So they're they're helping us to learn to breathe. And then they're giving us all sorts of things to help nurture us in those beginning stages. And we're just kind of a sponge at that point in time. In the first stage of this spiritual development, typically, kind of revolves around those early interactions with God where everything's new and we're like, whoa, I've never heard this before. This is incredible. You're taking these deep breaths and going, whoa, this is amazing. And then somebody comes along and says, you know what? If you breathe that way, where you're just continually just taking these huge deep breaths, you're going to hyperventilate and pass out. So Let's give you some things that are going to help you to breathe well. But you do it in a manner that you're not exhaling everything that's good right at that moment. But you're, in a sense, digesting some of these things. So you you move from this place of what we would describe in, in Christian vernacular as conversion, this sense of new birth, this sense of I accepted Jesus into my life kind of moment. There's that newness. There's an excitement about it. You know, people oftentimes will just kind of say, that was an amazing moment in my life. That was an amazing time in my life. For some, it was such a radical departure from the life they had had before that it was truly miraculous for them. Now, it's a miracle for all of us, but for some, it just seemed like a bigger miracle. I remember when I, uh, as a musician, I was traveling and doing concerts, you'd hear people in various settings give their testimony and how they had they had been the guy not just taking drugs, but he was dealing drugs. He was a criminal and all that. Jesus came into his life and changed him completely. And, you know, or he was off in some terrible place and God rescued him. And I grew up in a Christian home. My testimony was way different than that. <laughs> there wasn't necessarily any way overt sin that I was doing. A lot of covert sin, but nothing way out there that might somebody would have looked at and said, wow, that guy is really off the rails. I wore the persona of a kid in a Christian home pretty well. So my conversion and the miracle for me may not have looked as dramatic, but it was every bit as dramatic. Mm-hmm. It was still moving into this different atmosphere and all of a sudden going, 
wow, I'm a new person. This is a, a new life here. I am a new creature. So we begin in that sense of this little delivery room with a team of people around us, nurturing us and helping us. And we're kind of amazed. We're looking at the lights and we're kind of saying, wow, this is pretty impressive. There are other people in this world. I lived in an amniotic sack for nine months and all of a sudden I'm realizing there's a whole other set of life going on around me. And it's big. I'm tiny and there's a lot of big around me. And I see that bigness and I'm, I'm in awe of it. And somewhere along the line, I begin to realize that to maintain a sense of growth in this, I come into places that we call discipleship. We talk about deeper learning and, and understanding of what it all means. So that it just isn't about waking up and you know being slapped and all of a sudden breathing and screaming and, and going, wow, this is incredible. And then just kind of laying on a table somewhere and thinking, I guess this is it. There's a whole group of people now that want to say, we're going to put you in school and educate you. And it isn't the kind of school that we're used to because it's about life. It's about walking with people in relationship and having people that are further along the path in the journey come alongside us and help us take in the right kind of food and the right kind of drink into our spiritual lives that's going to nurture the soil and help these roots to go deep. So would you say then the life that we're talking about in the spiritual realm is represented by the physical development of a child, which is about maturity, about growing <laughs> in maturity? I think it makes a good analogy. All analogies somewhere along the line probably break down. But I think it is a helpful analogy. There are other analogies out there that may come up, but I think it's helpful to realize that even Jesus, when he described what happened, he says, things are being born, be born again. So he puts it in the framework of kind of physical existence. You must be born again. You know, Nicodemus is sitting there saying, well, you know, how do I crawl back into my mother's womb and go through that experience again? I mean, what are we talking about here? And that's where Jesus begins to elaborate a little bit more and talk about the wind of the spirit and being born spiritually, things born of the spirit and all those kinds of things. So we're, we've got this physical birth now going on, but now we've, we've added this dimension of what does it mean to experience spiritual birth in Christ? And then what happens after that initial birth moment? So we're talking now like stage one. That's what we're talking about. What stage? We're talking one? about stage one, okay. new birth. Kurt and I prayer walk, you know, every week. But we had kind of a season where we didn't do it for a while. And I am very much the typical nine, I think, in some respects. I'm like, oh, it's all about my comfort. And so which means if I don't have a reason to go outside, a lot of the times I don't. And I didn't think about it until we prayer walked again in his neighborhood when we hadn't done it in a while. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my lungs aren't getting the oxygen they need because I am out of practice. Yeah, There's a lot of hills and then I'm out of shape and have asthma. So it's a really great combination in that respect. You know, I have to stop more frequently because I haven't been using my lungs. Yeah, Like my lungs literally got out of practice, you know, and that's so much of what our Christian faith is like uh -huh. in that step. It's like, I can't just jump in and run a marathon. 
I have to take it slow. And I think we can get to the point where we're like, well, shouldn't I be further along in this? Like, mm. and start beating yourself up. I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. Sure. I, I think God's just really been highlighting Luke chapter 10 when he's talking about the only one who can reveal the father to us is the son. Only the father knows the son and only the son knows the father. But Jesus chooses to reveal the son to us. Yeah. That takes time. Sure. It's a good thing to remember. It's like, it's spiritual practices. As Kurt likes to remind me every time I'm frustrated with myself, we're practicing this, which means we're not getting it right or air quotes perfect. You know, we're always learning, ideally. It's easy to look at conversion as uh, all of a sudden, somehow we've become experts in the spiritual life. Mm. Uh, We have all our answers now. And really, that's all we needed. Kim, your your idea of, you know, my lungs aren't used to this is really helpful because as you you think about it and you think about a child's lungs are small when they begin, but as they breathe more, the capacity increases. When I was uh, in high school, I remember... Uh, my dad was a doctor and he took me to the hospital with him one time and he had them test my vital capacity. Uh, I had no clue what that was. And what they did was they gave me this tube and they had me blow into it and watch this uh, kind of uh, accordion-like thing go up. And it would reach a point where that was as much as I could kind of get into it. And that they would measure that and they'd say, your vital capacity is impaired or your vital capacity is great or whatever it was. I had a pretty good vital capacity. And I think part of that was the idea of doing some sort of exercise in my life or, or being continuing to breathe, for one thing, doing things that were going to stretch my lungs a bit. And so when we're on this journey, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't necessarily leave all the paths of that journey as level. He tends to elevate them. He tends to put them on an incline. And that in itself all of a sudden makes me breathe harder. But with that, my lung capacity is increasing. They'll oftentimes take athletes and train them in, say, like Denver. And they'll train them in Denver because by they come back down to, you know, Santa Barbara and they're on sea level. And these guys are going, man, oh, man, I can run like four more laps than I could normally run because my lungs are not feeling that burn the same way that they were when I was at, you know, 5,000 feet elevation. So our lungs are stretching. They're growing. The spiritual lungs are stretching and growing. The more that we are breathing in that atmosphere of Jesus, I think he's increasing the capacity. And so the spiritual life, our journey, we start out at birth with lungs that are fairly small, but but they're increasing in capacity uh, with time and with the sense of, like you said, Kim, practice. We practice in those places and we see that capacity to enjoy the Lord more increase. And so in the stages, you know, we work out of the first stage into the second stage, and we're really in a place now where we're continuing that process of maturity, moving from that place of just having experienced that grace of God and that sense of welcome that he has. And now we're 
moving into a place of wanting to learn as much as we can about him and interact with him and understand more what he's like and who he is, this life that he has described to us. And so that's part of that next stage of making intentional or taking intentional steps to, in a sense, develop, to grow further and to take advantage of the kinds of helps that he might give us. People are a great help in that. Spiritual reading can be a great help, and spiritual direction can be a great help in places like that. Mainly, it'll be, you know, kind of basic things, like it'd be a good idea for you to read your Bible and to enjoy maybe some things that God is talking about and speaking about. And you may want to go and listen in that way to the scriptures and interact with them a little bit and understand what they're talking about because they, in a sense, paint the picture of God for you so that you can more clearly understand what it means to be in relationship with him. You pray, you enter into a conversation with God where his word speaks into your life and you speak back out of that place where you're listening for his voice in different places, but you're in a conversation. Now, part of this is the way we've typically looked at a lot of these practices is that they become things that we check off our to-do list. I did that. I must be more mature now. I read my Bible. I can check that off my list. I prayed today. I can check that off my list. And obviously, I must be more spiritual. What we forget is that it isn't about so much the practice, but it's what the practice makes space for. So in our development, we may start early on with some very basic practices. Those practices are creating space for God's Spirit to work in us. The practice of reading the scriptures can take five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour to read some of the Bible is making space for God to speak into our lives, for God to come and fill that space with his own presence. We pray, and part of the dynamic of prayer that is unfortunate is that prayer for many has become the list that they present to God for him to act upon. And to imagine that prayer is conversation, to imagine that prayer is dialogue in which God initiates this conversation and invites us to respond, to imagine that it's an ongoing conversation and not just 10 minutes out of your day, and to imagine that there's much more to life than just the list that you have are all things that can help you, in a sense, carve out space that actually where God can come and be. This is something important that Kim and you both referenced, this idea of intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that the point of this, like what we're talking about in this biological illustration is maturity, It is maturity through relationship, maturity through intimacy. This is not a maturity that comes from pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. I think this is the stage where a part of this description of this stage is joining a church community and getting involved in that church community. Yep. It can become like a mental time of, you know, like a headspace time of learning. And we equate that to maturity. And we might miss that real maturity, and this is what you and Kim both said, real maturity comes from these practices which develop intimacy. What they're meant to develop is intimacy with God. When we do these things, the whole thing is to put ourselves in this atmosphere. 
you know, a tree doesn't grow of its own volition. It's just in a good growing space. It's got the necessary ingredients of sunlight and rain, and it grows because it's in the right environment. Yeah. If you take that image of, say, growing a tree, uh, you start out with soil that someone has cultivated. You start out with seed that someone has, in a sense, put into that soil. And then you continue to kind of give attention to that place, to that seed. We go back to the analogy, the physical analogy. When a baby is born, he's not left alone. I mean, at least in the best case scenarios. And he is not independent of a lot of help. And as we grow in Christ, that help changes the way it meets us and addresses us. So at the beginning, the kind of help we're receiving, everything is being done for us. People are watching out for us. They're there on our behalf. Even the way the Lord works in our life, I think, is a little bit different in those early stages. I'm always fascinated the people that are new believers who are praying prayers that I would look at and say, why are you praying for that? And yet, those prayers seem to be answered. And I'm saying, seriously, that is getting answered. When my son was probably five years old, he loved to play with Legos. And he had a bin of Legos that he would just pour out on the floor. And it was a mess. He'd come in, you know, and start to build something. And he could build from memory a lot of the things that these sets came in. And he would start to build. And I remember one time he was sitting there on the floor and he was looking at the spread of all the Legos. And you could see at five years old, he was frustrated. He had encountered something that it was not working the way he had intended. And he called out to my wife and said, I can't find this one little piece that will complete what I'm building. My wife came in and she saw the spread of thousands of Legos on the floor and just thought, okay, this may not happen. And so she sat down and she said, I will help you look. They both looked and could not find. And then out of the blue, my son, five years old, says, maybe we should pray about this. Now, you have to understand, my wife had been a believer for quite some time at that point. My son, on the other hand, was a fairly new advocate of Jesus. And she was in attention there, my wife, as she sat there next to him. Because for her, she didn't want to destroy his faith moment, this desire to pray and trust in Jesus. And on the other hand, she's sitting there going to the pragmatist saying, there is no way on earth that this is going to come through. She gave in to the instinct that said, better to pray than not. So they did. She said the miracle was that he opened his eyes and he looked in front of him and he reached down and he picked up the exact piece. They had scoured this place. And there it was. What was lost had been found. And, you know, you sit there and you say, who of us, you know, that we sat there and we prayed for this thing that was truly significant? Somebody has a terrible disease and we're praying that God would heal them. And it's the Lego piece that gets the attention. And you're sitting there and say, what is that about? And I'm not sure this is the case because I think God does answer those major things later on. But I think in the beginning, there are oftentimes these signs that come along that we might not at later times 
see as often. There is a, a line from a song a guy named David Wilcox wrote, and he makes this statement. He said, Lord, but if you gave me a vision, would I ever have reason to use my faith? Mm. So in those moments, we're praying, God, give us a vision. Give us, you know, give us the thing. And yet God's saying, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes these moments where we pray and the answer is not what we expected or wanted. Something else is going on in us. With Paul praying three times that his thorn in the flesh would be removed, we sit there and we say, God, come on, this is Paul. Seriously, if you're going to do it for a five-year-old kid with a Lego, can't you do it for Paul, who is your faithful servant? And he's prayed three times for this, not just once. Can't you do this for your servant? And at that point in time, the disappointment is that's not the answer. But there is an answer. The answer that Jesus gives in that moment is, is that my power is perfected in your weakness. Mm-hmm. My grace is sufficient for you. There is grace in that moment, not necessarily the exact thing we're praying for, but there is grace in that moment. And that that grace is sufficient. As I'm processing this, the difference between the story of your son and the story of Paul is the story of two stages, two yeah. different stages, where Paul was much farther along on the journey and didn't need those, those smaller signposts to strengthen his faith anymore. His spiritual lung capacity had grown. He could breathe in and understand what he was breathing in was the spirit and intimacy was what he needed more than an, an exact answer to a prayer for this illness to be taken off of him in this moment. I think that that's the, the idea is as we grow, initially, the atmosphere that we think we need is not necessarily the atmosphere that God knows we need. So we think that what we were looking for from God is that every time we said, look, I'd like chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla, God said, okay, here's chocolate ice cream. And somewhere along the line, God said, you don't need ice cream at all. But my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. That somehow the atmosphere is grace. And I have to learn through practice to breathe in grace and see how sufficient it is to sustain my life. These other incidental things, the gifts that God gives us along the way, they don't surpass his grace in sufficiency. So it's weaning us from the gifts to hold to the giver more and more and more. Exactly. Yes. That, you know, takes us to this whole idea of dependence, because initially a new believer is dependent on a lot of people around him to kind of take care of him, to help him stay the course, to remind him of the decision he made and the faith that he had and people along the way to say, this is the right path because for, I mean, if you look at the parable of the soils or the seed, whatever way you want to describe it, you know, that second soil is you spring up and then you don't have any room to grow any roots and things die. Well, other people are there to keep digging at the ground there to help that little seed have room for roots to grow. People are alongside, but somewhere along the line, there becomes a little bit of a shift. You become more of a steward of this. 
someone who is not just a passive participant, but an active participant in what is going on. Others are still needed, but you're doing a lot more collaboration now. Which is the difference between a five-year-old and a 15-year-old, right? In the biological sense. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we're not sending the three-year-old to university (laughs) and saying, have a great experience. It is so far beyond the capacity of what they can understand that it's funny to think about. But we are also saying to the person that's 18 going off to college, that you don't need to be in nursery school anymore. And that the experience of nursery school where they gave you a nap every day. Now that might, we might want to reincorporate that one. <laughs> but the idea that you're going to eat baby food here is the very thing that Hebrews talks about. Long to give you meat, but you were only able to take in, actually I think it's Corinthians that says that, that meat, but you were only able to take in like kind of milk the way I'm able to take in Jesus and breathe in Jesus, the capacity grows, my ability to process it grows. Whereas, you know, a newborn is having a struggle trying to figure it out. There is a maturing going on. And so I'm able to digest different things, things that are more difficult to digest as I grow closer in this relationship with Jesus. So you're in that, you're in the second stage. Now you have some resources brought around you to help you kind of in that maturation process. We think of the third stage of now there is fruit coming out of this tree. Isn't that cool? I'm engaged in service and I'm investing my life. So there's been a lot of feeding that's been going on, especially in the second stage. And I'm, you know, I'm a disciple and now I'm in this place where there's some fruit being produced from my life. There are things that I'm engaged in where I'm investing in others. I'm serving in some sort of capacity. I'm taking whatever the gifts I have and I'm beginning to see how they might interact and help others. So now you've come to that third stage and it's pretty good. But we have to remember that in all this, the baseline for everything is that I'm connected more and more with Jesus. So these things, these stages are not independent of that. It's not all of a sudden I have arrived at a place where Jesus becomes superfluous to this whole process. Right. But when you begin to come through that side of discipleship and move into the place of service, where you become, you were the disciple and now maybe you are discipling others, mentoring others, It's easy to figure that I've got all my answers now. I'm now the one that is entrusting people with all my pearls of wisdom. Doesn't that sound just awful? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we might not say that, but to some degree, we can move into those places where we've become so secure in our answers, so secure in the gifts that we have, that we begin to, again, move into a place where those become the things we're attached to. They make us feel secure. Mm. And they give us that sense that all is well with the world. We're fruitful. We're investing. Good things are happening. But when that is your security, now you come to stage four. Stage four is, is that place where all of a sudden 
you're beginning to experience less of that sense of intimacy with God and more of that sense of exhaustion and maybe feeling a little bit like I'm an employee. It is the place oftentimes described as the wall. This is a great place to end part two of the stages on the journey because we've come to the end of the overview of the first three stages and now we're moving into a discussion on stage four, the wall, which is also known as the cloud of unknowing. It's going to take time to unpack this one stage and then move into the stages that come after it. So we're going to stop here and continue that discussion next time on Life Hurts God Heals.